Well, as I was walking across the stage, things just became real. <laughs> These Toms here. I was going to do a shout out to Miss Kate Horton, but I think she's in the building, so I don't have to waste that one. But a special shout out to Mr. B's wife, Bree. She is my acclaimed hairstylist. If you noticed, Wolfman has left the building. And uh, to any of those un unnamed co-workers that might be watching, looking for that moment where I slip up and say something that could possibly go viral, welcome. <laughs> but uh, no, this is a, a unique experience, one that could set the tone for the rest of the year. I'm not really sure why Dave and the leadership team thought it'd be good to give me the opportunity, but they did. And I uh, appreciate you all for being here, and there's a reason that God has you in the building. So if we could, you know, the Christmas season's over, and, you know, we remember that Christ came for the first time, and he's coming again, and in Matthew it says that he came that we could have life and that we could have it abundantly. Uh, he didn't want us to just get by. He wanted us to excel. He wanted us to take the next step and to, to move the ball forward. And uh, for fear of copywriting, um, I just need to give a shout out to my professor of in Bible college 20 years ago, Mr. DePenning. I, I went back to my notes. I still have them. And a lot of the context comes from this. Also, uh, Craig Rochelle wrote a book, Winning the War in Your Mind. And uh, a lot of the insights and, and illustrations might come from there as well. Um, Juan, if you could hit the first slide of Psalms 139. Psalms 139 says, uh, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And as we get into this topic that uh, I really feel like God wants me to share with you this morning, uh, that needs to be our prayer. So if you would... Uh, just pray with me quickly as we get started here. Father, another year has come and gone, and we're beginning a new year uh, afresh with ideas and um, just things that you've laid on our hearts that you might want us to change, that you might want us to do better, um, some things that we've done that uh, maybe we're a little off kilter that we just need to get over and move on. Um, I just pray now that you would search my heart, that you would um, remove the distractions, that you would reveal yourself in a real and powerful way, uh, that your spirit would overcome this place. Um, it's with anticipation we praise you for what you're going to do here this morning. I know that you've hand-selected everyone that's here to be here. Uh, there's ones watching online that uh, just might not have felt ready to come today, but you want them to hear something. And I know it's nothing that I'm going to say or the way I say it, but it's your spirit working in them to draw them to you, to bring them to yourself as you do not desire anyone uh, to spend eternity without you. Uh, so I thank you that you've given us this time. I pray that in the next few minutes that these jumbled thoughts in my head would form a 
a jigsaw puzzle masterpiece of who you are and what you've done and what you want to do in our life. So we thank you for what you're going to do, and in your presence, I'm going to pray. Amen. So according to Inc.com, I don't know anything about Inc.com other than that was what came up in my Google search. 41% of people make a New Year's resolution, and of those, only 9% successfully complete them. Uh, most people actually give up on their resolutions by January 19th. So you got just under three weeks to really get that done. <laughs> but as I was looking at that, this isn't going to be just a typical resolution message, although that would be possibility. When Dave and I sat down a couple weeks ago to talk about what was going on, I was kind of hoping that I'd get one of those too-hot-to-handle topics. But... Uh, I told them I wasn't going to talk about raising kids and I wasn't going to talk about marriage because I haven't figured those things out yet. <laughs> but the reason that most people don't follow through on their resolutions is because they make things too big, too, too broad. They don't have a specific goal in mind. They want to do this grandiose thing with no real plan, no check marks, no, no way to get it done. And... Uh, the difference for those that claim Christ is that the resolution is just not a January process. It's an ongoing, all-year-long process. And here at Seneca Community Church, our mission is to make a difference in people's lives, wherever they are, um, by leading them into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and that only is accomplished by continual progress, by taking things and, and putting them off and, and putting them on. So this morning we're going to look at a letter in the Newer Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesians. Uh, some of the background information on Paul, you know, Paul, if, if you're not familiar with church world, Paul uh, originally was a guy named Saul. He, he first shows up in Acts uh, chapter 7 when uh, Stephen was martyred. He was there holding the, holding the clothes for those that were doing the martyring, and he, he was all on board with that. And then first part of chapter 8 starts off and he's heading all over Asia Minor looking for people that he can he can destroy and, and put in prison and he didn't even stop with the men he did men and women and you know just no no reason to not go on but you know as Paul was going he he was met with a great light now, some of you are familiar with the story where where God showed up and and blinded him and said you know what are you doing to me who do you who do you think you are that you're hurting my people and uh so Paul has this radical transformation. He, he meets Christ. He has to undergo this time away where he learns, and the believers didn't believe that. It, you know, they figured this was just a ploy where, where Paul's gonna, or Saul's going to come and, and uh, try to get in with him so that he can take him out. And, and eventually this guy comes along named Barnabas and says, you know, this is the real deal. This is someone that's seen Christ, that's been, been transformed. So as Paul gets to this point, he becomes a great missionary, multiple mission trips throughout, throughout Asia Minor. And we're going to pick up with Paul in Acts 18. And uh, if you have a pew Bible or U version, it's on page 773. This is right in front of you. But uh, you're going you're gonna to like this one because I, I just, Eric said I can't not add some humor to this. But. It starts off, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. 
Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at, at Chancheria because of the vow he had taken. So it, it, just, it just amazes me how God does this stuff because a year ago I, I decided that I wasn't going to cut my hair for 2022 and, and the year before that I decided I wasn't going to eat ice cream for the whole year and my wife gets stuck with all these crazy ideas that I come up with. But it was actually a very unique year for me because not everybody feels the same way about long hair. And uh, for the first time in my life, I was offered marijuana. And uh, it's legal now. And, you know, and some people that are familiar with church world questioned why I could even do that, how I could be so blatantly rebellious that I would grow my hair out knowing that men are not supposed to have long hair based on passages that are taken out of context and other portions of scripture. <laughs> but in all seriousness, in September, I got a text message from an individual I know, and, and, and that was his approach of, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you, you're being a bad example to your children. And I thought he was joking, so I responded like, like matter. I'm not picking on you guys at all. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. But uh, he, uh, he texts back that he was being completely serious, and it really floored me because I had a relationship with this individual and, and how he could think that the, the, the length of my hair or my, my outward appearance would ever indicate what was actually going on inside of me. And because of the length of my hair, how was I any different than I was with short hair? I, I, I got my hair cut on Friday. I'm no different today than I was on Friday just because my hair's been cut off. But, you know, that's what they did in, in the Bible times. took a vow. They grew their hair out. I grew my hair out. I cut it off. I learned a lot of things. I learned that I learn more from people that aren't like me, that don't look like me, than I do from people that do look like me. Uh, when I went to Bible college, and I love my Bible college experience, but I got out of there and I was ill-equipped to actually communicate with the world. I was, I was perfectly equipped to stay with people that thought like me and went to churches like me, but I had no idea how to interact with those that had a different worldview or, or a different upbringing. So this book to the Ephesians backstory of, uh, of Ephesus here is, is when Paul came through after he cut his hair, he actually didn't stay in Ephesians, he, but he left Pr Priscilla and Aquila there to do the work, and then this guy named Apollos showed up and started teaching the Ephesians all these things, but Apollos was completely accurate in all his teachings other than he hadn't been taught beyond the baptism of John. So Paul shows back up and, and realizes that this is where their teaching stopped with the, with the baptism of John, and they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. So they received the Holy Spirit when Paul came back, uh, great revival in Ephesus. They were heavily involved in practicing magic, and it's, it's recorded that they burned over uh, 50,000 pieces worth of silver and literature of magic books. So there's just this great revival in Ephesus. So this is, this is the person that wrote the book. This is the, the place they wrote the book to. So we'll pick it up in Ephesians uh, 4, 22 through 24. Um, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourself of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you are to be renewed in the spirits of your mind, and to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
So if you have your notes, you'll see that this is the PRP project, and if you read the verse, you could probably figure out what the three main bullet points are, but we'll start with the first one, which is to put off the old man. Um, Galatians 5:19 has it has described the old man in this way, and this is can be a little bit PG-13, so bear with me and, and have those conversations with your children. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants. And he continues with, uh, <clears throat> I think there's more to that one, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, uh, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I mean, the list could go on and on. This isn't the first time that, that, that Paul warns them that if uh, they use their freedom this way, they're not going to inherit God's kingdom. Kind of a rough list, list right there. But that's, that's all the, the ways of the b before Christ. So the, the old man, is, and that's the reference. It's, it's how, how these people live before Christ. So I, I gave you the background on Paul and on Ephesus so that you could see, you know, I, I am a reader. So I, the books I read, you can always see the authors showing up. If you've re read a book by uh, an author and another book he writes, you can often see the same stories, the same lifestyle or, or whatever in his writing. So Paul's the guy that wrote this. So what we know about Paul is that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was well-educated. He was the top of the line. He had all these things going for him. He was a man of, of great religious knowledge and strict morality. And, and that's kind of my story, other than I'm not like the up of the up, but I grew up, you know, in a, in going to church all the time. Uh, I avoided a lot of um, teenage temptations uh, by the grace of God. And, and uh, it was always hard for me growing up when people would give give their stories and their testimonies and it was always these these otherworldly conversations of, of how they've been so trapped in addiction or or are on their 47th um, partner or or whatever and it's like how how do you compete with that how do you how do you reconcile that I haven't done any of that you know you, you feel like you've kind of missed out on life and so for, for me, I realized that the old man isn't, isn't just a set of, of these lists of, of has done and hasn't done. It's a, it's a list that's different for everybody. And, you know, Paul was one that hadn't crossed those lines on a lot of things. So his old man is going to look different than the woman at the well or somebody else with a different story. We all have chapters in our lives that we want to get a mulligan on. So, through some of the research, I've, I've broken down the old man into three simplified categories. I hope, I hope this helps you out. This is certainly not an exhaustive list. You could probably come up with one that was five, maybe one that had two, whatever. A better list, I'm sure. But uh, the first category is attitude. And uh, some possible attitudes that would be 
that would be in that category would be that of negativity uh, or criticalness, uh, maybe even an attitude of, of discontentment or fearfulness. Now, I, I was, uh, was and am a bit hesitant to share this story, but I think, I think when I share it, you'll understand why. But after I got this text message, it really sent me into a, uh, a spiral that had already started. I have, a, I have a tendency to be an uh, overly critical or negative person. Uh, I can come into a room and find the fault instantly. It's, it's the way I'm wired. If uh, you're into self-awareness and the Enneagram, I'm, an, I'm a six. I'm a worst-case scenario, scenario, scenario thinker. And uh, so I'm always looking at things through this negative lens. So I talked to a couple of friends of mine and, and just said, you know, guys, I'm really struggling with this negativity. And uh, as a matter of coincidence, when I pulled out my notes from 20 years ago for this class that he took, that was what I was struggling with then as well. So it's been this ongoing theme in my life. But uh, I texted my wife one day and I said, uh, just so you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a therapist. And she said, good, it's about time. <coughs> She probably said it a little nicer, but those were the words that she said because she could see that the negativity that I had wasn't just my own negativity. It was spreading over into other aspects of our, of our lives, of, of the way our kids responded, of how they do life. And um, just to have an, have an outlet. So... All that to say that, you know, that there's a stigma that goes along with thinking therapists are only for people that have problems. Well, we all have problems, so there's really nothing wrong with having a therapist. Uh, second category is that of actions. Um, Craig Rochelle says in this book that our, and, and anything he says is and one of his favorite catchphrases is, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. When we program our minds with faulty thinking attitudes, our actions quickly follow suit. We are designed with the ability to create pathways in our minds that allow us repetitive actions to be done quicker with less thought and less effort. So one of the books that I read was a book by Dr. Caroline Leaf called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. I don't recommend that if you're not a heavy reader because there's words in there that you can't pronounce, you just make them up. But she's a neuroscientist that can tell you all of these ways that your mind works. And it's just, it's so intriguing because, you know, God created our minds with the ability to be formed and we can create these pathways. One way to look at it is, is ruts. Like, you walk through the woods tracking a deer, you see a path. You walk through a pasture where cows have been. There's a path. It's this continual movement on the same thing creates this pathway. And so we do that same thing in our minds. We get this thing where we just keep telling ourselves the same thing. We keep telling ourselves the same thing. And then it just gets easier and easier all the time. But the good news is, is, is we can change that. You're you're, there's this thing called neuroplasticity, which I'm not going to explain it to you because I'm not a PhD that understands that, but our minds are a, a muscle that can be exercised and our thinking can change. 
third category is acquaintances. And the only reason I did this is because, like I said, when I went to Bible college 20 years ago, you had to have things start with the same letter. So I had to get actions, attitudes, actions, and acquaintances. Just a fancy way to say, you know, people you hang out with. If you'd rather have it alphabetically, you could go attitudes, behaviors, and colleagues. Whatever way your mind works, those are your options. But the people we spend time with have the ability to impact our life outcome and trajectory. We all have that one friend who can influence us to do something we otherwise might not do. I was having a conversation with an individual uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were reminiscing of the story of whenever they would go um, home, their, their sibling would always bring out this certain behavior in them. And their spouse was like, you realize that you're not like that at home. But whenever we go there, you're always acting like that. Knock it off. And fortunately, they had the, the maturity to accept that and recognize that they were indeed acting differently around different people and were aware enough to say, I don't have to be like this anymore. So there's, there's kind of three types of old man, old man, I use that term as before Christ acquaintances. You have the negative, the controller, and the tempter. Now, I venture to guess that we've all fit one of those categories or all those categories at some point in our life. I'm sure that with uh, the holiday season just beyond past us, we, there was people that um, brought out something in you that you, you don't always didn't always like that you knew. Hey, some of us look at going home or going somewhere with the idea that I know I'm going to be around this person. I have to prepare myself for what's going to happen next because it's going to be a struggle. Uh, attitudes, actions, and acquaintances can all affect and impact each other. It's not, it's not necessarily a um, one, two, three. It's, it's almost like the crazy cycle that uh, Emerson uses in his marriage book where um, the interaction with the wrong people can change your attitude. Wrong actions can oftentimes affect the wrong people or attract the wrong people. And if we're the wrong, if we're with the wrong people doing the wrong thing, we'll probably have the wrong attitude. So it's not, it's not just a one, one or the other. It's, it, there's always this connection, this interweaving of how these things in, interact with one another. But that's like the doom and gloom. That's the negative part. That's the old story. And in, in Ephesians there tells us in the middle part of that that we can, in fact, <coughs> renew our mind. And that's really where I want to get to today. Second uh, Corinthians two or yeah, Second Corinthians ten three to five says, uh, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ." Uh, said another way in Colossians 3.2 on page 822, it says, Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. And again on page 789 in Romans 12.2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
I didn't talk to Mike about the songs I picked out this morning other than the one I picked at the end, but that last song of speaking Jesus over people was spot on with uh, really what the message that God wants us to have this morning. So I've broken um, renewing our mind down into five categories. Once again, non-exhaustive list, um, not necessarily in any particular order, but one that I think will really help us if we want to move on. Uh, the first one is prayer. Uh, and winning the war on your mind, Pastor Groeschel gives one of the simplest yet most found, profound truths on prayer. And, and this is something that you might actually be worth writing down. He says, if you forget God is there, you won't talk to him. If you forget God is there, you won't talk to him. So often in life, we find ourselves wanting to do things in our own strength. And we forget that if we've said yes to Christ, we don't have to, ever. He's always there, and he wants to communicate with us. Some people claim that they don't know how to pray or are afraid of doing it wrong. Do you have to pray in King James? <laughs> Some of you don't even know what King James is. Do you have to pray in Shakespearean? That would be the same thing. Which, uh, do you have to pray with your eyes closed? Do you have to pray with your hands in the air? Do you have to pray with your face on the ground or on your knees? I mean, all of those are options. There's nothing wrong with praying in King James. But, uh, the good news with prayer is that it can be learned. New Testament, you see Christ's disciples uh, saying, Master, teach us how to pray. So if you don't know how to pray, you can learn how to pray. Jesus modeled what it was like to pray, often getting up early, finding a quiet place to talk to his Father. Jesus' disciples took his friends with him to pray. He didn't pray alone. We all pray different. Um, I have the privilege of being in a Saturday morning prayer group, which is always comprised of different personalities with different prayer styles. God created us uniquely and anticipates our interaction to be as unique as well. Uh, one thing I saw <laughs> kind of struck me, and you know, kudos for Mariah because her dad's not preaching, so she's not getting picked on, but I got five kids so I can pick on my own. But my five children all have different communication styles. Some of you might find that hard to believe if you know my children. But Silas's obvious style is loud. Loud in your face. Catherine's style is always, all right, Dad, hear me out. Hear me out on this. Natalie's style is a lot more... Um, close. She gets right on top of you and asks you right, like, literally on top of you. And uh, you look at the, the different communication styles that your kids have or that you have and then you think, you know, here's a God that wants to communicate with us and expects us to communicate how we are because he created us that way. He wants, to talk, he wants us to talk to him how he made us. 
So prayer is, prayer is the first way that we can renew our mind. The second is Bible reading and Bible meditation. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, just, as we, just as prayer is how we communicate with God, the Bible is how God communicates with us. Now, <clears throat> there's a, a Bible app, version app, that is free. Um, and it's, if you don't have it, you can get it. If you need help, you can talk to somebody, anybody here, probably help you with it. Um, but they make it super easy to find reading plans on any topic. I mean, you can, if you can think a problem that you might have or something you want to learn about, you can put it in there and they probably have something. But it's not just enough to read scripture. Um, we need to meditate on it as well. Now, the interesting thing that might be a little gross for some is the word meditate is actually the same as the word um, for ruminate, like a cow chewing its cud. And it's this idea of bringing it back up over and over. Like really, you, got, you, got, you read it and you're like, oh, well, that's an interesting thought. And then you read it again and you're like, well, why wasn't that there last time? And then you read it again and you're like, well, that's completely different than the first two times. We want to keep bringing it up so that we can get every morsel of nutrition out of it. Uh, if, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible or you don't have a Bible, you can take this one home. We, we'd be glad, gladly give you that gift. But you probably don't want to start in Leviticus. <laughs> just, just a heads up. It, there's some weird, weird stuff in there. Uh, if you want to start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James is a very practical book. But when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, as you read his word, he will make things clear to you. He'll leave you questions that you want to come back for more, but he'll give clarity to where, when, you, when you seek him, he wants to be found. Third is journaling. Now, this is, a, this is a discipline that I am the worst at. I am not a journalist. Um, but the nice thing is journaling can take on different forms these days. Now we have the capacity for photo journaling, which is a lot easier. Time hop, other memory tools. And, and, and it's, it's fun because journaling is just a way that we can look back and remember where we've been, who we've been with, and where we're heading. We were we were looking for my notes last week, and uh, our house is a bit of a circus and a cyclone. But we found these boxes that had old photos in them from back when I was when I looked like this all the time, not just after a haircut. But uh, to see where God had us 20 years ago to see how he got us here. Uh, we went to this, I went to school in Minnesota. I met my wife there. Uh, we got a random letter in the mail asking if we'd be interested in coming back to New York to be a herdsman. So we did that. Uh, we were doing that for five or 10 years. And 
knew that it wasn't going to be long term and ad popped up in one of our mag magazine publications and we responded to that. I think we were the only ones because it was the doc and uh, God brought us to the Finger Lakes. <coughs> and then, you know, then COVID hit. No one saw that coming. We sold our cows on, in April of 2020. And I haven't stepped foot in a dairy barn since. <coughs> and now I'm a chicken farmer. But through it all, through the patterns, when I was a dairy farmer, I was working seven days a week. I had no margin. Now I'm a chicken farmer, we shut the lights off and they're smart enough to go to bed and they won't wake up till we turn them back on. So now I only have to work five days a week. So if I was still a dairy farmer, I wouldn't have the capacity or the ability to be doing this this morning. All that to say, as we write this stuff down and we can see where God has brought us from, you never really quite know where you're heading. I do have one journal post that uh, I look at periodically from 17 years ago when my wife had a miscarriage. And the words I wrote then were as true <coughs> then as they are now, that God is faithful. So the fourth is community or discipleship. Romans 12, 9, also written by Paul, says, Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to, to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflamed. Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive. Be inventive in hospitality. It said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with friends. Community groups or community or discipleship may be where the most significant growth comes from. Uh, real community involves transparency and accountability. Real community involves mutual learning. It's being in a room where everyone brings their gifts and shares that gift without reservation. It's a place to be seen and heard, to be allowed to be in progress and to not have it all together yet. If you're not in a community group, you need to be. Um, Dave doesn't know what I'm talking about yet unless he's listening right now. We didn't talk about this, but we are Seneca Community Church. Our, our mission is about being in community. And if you're not in community, you're really not going to grow like you need to grow. So if you would like to be, you can 
uh, reach out to Megan Guest Services or, or look at what groups are available. And if, if nothing fits that time frame, uh, talk to someone on the leadership team and, and make them make one that fits your time frame. And if you're looking to be discipled, which all this discipled is, is basically community in a smaller scale, one-on-one, one-on-two, then reach out to someone that's a little further down the road. Offer to buy them coffee or lunch. Make yourself available. And really, if you want a good community group, then go to Bill's because he's got all the ancient wisdom that we could all use. Bill Spencer is not here this morning, so he can't confirm or deny that. But the fifth, I personally am most intrigued by this one, is that of margin or Sabbath. Uh, one through four can only take place if you've provided enough space for them to actually happen. We live in a world where busyness is praised. Uh, we're missing out on the details of life because we are scared of the silence. I've been very curious about this idea of Sabbath over the last year, about working from a place of rest instead of towards a place of rest. I don't have it all figured out yet. It's a work in progress. I'm still studying and researching, um, doing my homework, crossing my T's and dotting the I's. But if you are interested in learning more, I would recommend listening to a guy by the name of John Mark Comer at practicingtheway.org or find some teachings from Pete, Pete Cazero at emotionallyhealthy.org. Both of those guys have done a lot of work on spiritual disciplines and Sabbath in particular. And really, margin is, is this space where you can hear the quiet whisper of God. So those are just five, five things that kind of struck me as, as being uh, ways that we could renew our mind. And I'm really shocked that I almost made it to 11 o'clock, so I'm going to have to speed up a little bit. <laughs> the last one is uh, putting on the new man. Colossians 3 12 through 14. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. Love, it's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Uh, quickly, so put on a new man. Two things. Fruit of the Spirit. Uh, if you've been in church world, you're familiar. Uh, Galatians 5.22. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That's on page 813. Um, and Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then second is put on spiritual armor. Um, even that last song, you know, breaking down strongholds. This isn't just a physical fight. This is a spiritual war. And uh, 
That's found on page 817, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Uh, I don't want to go take the time to go through that, but you can look that up and read it. Uh, it's just different elements that God has made available to us to fight against the devil. And the bottom line is plant the tree. Okay, what's that have to do with anything? Old Proverbs states that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, and the second best time is today. Don't let another year end without being intentional about change and growth. What does planting the tree look like for my high school friends? The ones that have possibly the most time. It could be learning the value of savings and compound interest. It could be learning uh, how to do conflict and actually resolve it. It could be the tree of scripture memorization and learning to pray. If these things are planted today in 10 years or 20 years, you'll have that there. What does planting the tree look like for my friends that just got married or have young children? It could be finding that couple who has a marriage that looks appealing to you or children that act the way you would like yours to act and ask them questions. Find out what the journey was like behind the scenes. It could be the tree that faith is going to be important to your family. What does planting the tree look like for my friends whose kids are getting ready to move out or grandparenthood isn't too far down the road? It could be the tree, it could be planting the tree of, of traditions, of, of ways of doing things that are going to withstand culture. What does planting the tree look like for my friends who may not have much time left? It's no secret that my favorite age group is the old age group. And they might be asking, is there any value still in planting a tree? I would say absolutely. The trees you plant are going to be the forest that generations to come find rest and comfort in. Yours are the trees that are the most selfless of all because you won't be around to see the fruit of them. When you live a life of consistency, and put that tree in the ground and watch it grow, it provides fruit, shade for those that come behind you. Now this passage in, in Ephesians was written to believers, and maybe there's someone here today that's never said yes to Jesus. And this whole concept of old man, new man is, is a foreign. Maybe there's a lie that you've been believing that says you've done too much stuff. You'll never be good enough. God could never love you. I want you to know this morning that your value is determined by what someone is willing to pay for your life. When we, when we were in the dairy industry and would go to auctions, the price was always set by the last bidder. And as most of you have gone to the grocery store, you've seen what the price of eggs can be. It's what people are willing to pay. 1 Peter 1.18 says, you weren't redeemed, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. 
God has already given you a value. And that was the most expensive value he could give. He sent his own son to redeem you. There was no greater price that he could have paid. So as we head into the new year, find a group that's going to stand by you. Find an area that you want to change and make it attainable. Go through the practices of renewing your mind and look with anticipation on what you can do when you put on that new man. I asked Mike to close us with a song if you'd come down and um, Bill and Lori are going to be up front if you want someone to talk to and pray with and uh, really listen and, and, and sing the words to this last song and realize that who God says you are. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father. We don't always know why you allow things to take place in our lives. But we know that you have given us your Son, that you've left us your Spirit, that we could be more like you. That we would have a value that cannot ever be taken away. Because you paid that price when before we had done anything to deserve it. We were still... Um, we were still dead in our sins. We were still filthy rags. And yet you said, I value you. I pray as we head into this year that we would be aware of those around us, that we would speak truth, that we would spread love to all those that we come in contact with, that we would be your body, that we would bring a unity to this community like it's not seen in a long time because of you. So we thank you for what you're going to do, and we thank you that you allow us to be part of it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.